Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from John chapter 14, verses 8 through 17, located on page 877 in the Pew Bible. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip? And so you do, you, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you, and he will be in you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well done. Thank you, Kate. As you may have guessed... This morning is Girl Scout Sunday at Ebenezer United Methodist Church, and uh, we are blessed in the context of our lives here at Ebenezer to have some remarkable, remarkable young ladies uh, who week in and uh, week out are learning more about themselves and their communities and how to make a difference in this world. And so I just want to take a moment and celebrate our, our Girl Scouts and their leaders and say thank you for doing your part in, in trying to, to make this world a better place. God bless you guys. We're glad that you're a part of the Ebenezer community. Thank you for being here today. Good morning, church. My name is Rob Lau. I'm one of the pastors here, and today is a special day in the life of the Church of Jesus Christ because today is the first Sunday in Lent. Now, I know that some of us grew up, myself included, uh, maybe not experiencing this thing called Lent. So what is, what is Lent? Lent is a season of preparation during which we journey to the cross with Christ. There are a lot of historical nuances to it, but essentially this is a season of self-reflection and self-denial. It's a time of repentance and penitence and contemplation. And for that reason, we are embracing a series throughout the season of Lent that is, is more contemplative in nature. The series is called Believe. And what we're doing is we're going back and trying to understand what are the basic beliefs that we hold in common. The founder of the United Methodist Church, the founder of Methodism, is a guy by the name of John Wesley. Uh, and John Wesley was fond of saying, there's some disagreement about whether or not he actually coined the phrase, but John Wesley was fond of saying, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. Now that begs the question, what is it that is essential? We're going to be spending some time over the course of these next five weeks looking at some of the essential beliefs of our faith. And today we begin, where else could we begin? Today we begin with a conversation around God. Now, 
our companion throughout this series will be loosely the Apostles' Creed. It's a statement of faith that we've been affirming since the 4th century as churches, and we share it together every time we do a baptism here at Ebenezer Church. And the statement of faith begins with these words, I believe in God the Father Almighty. As we begin this series on belief, we are talking about God. I believe in God the Father Almighty. Now, if I'm going to say... I believe in God, then there are some questions that inherently ensue. And the first question I might need to ask myself is, why do I believe in God? There's an opportunity if you would choose to, to take some notes on the back of your bulletin. Why do I believe in God? So if you were to ask me that question, Rob, why do you believe in God? I would say, I believe in God because I'm an intelligent and scientific person. Maybe not the answer you expected, But it is the truth. We talked about this some last year during our conversations with an atheist series, but as we look at the origin of all things, there are essentially three options for how all the things we see in our lives came into being. Option number one is that something came from nothing. It just all of a sudden was there. As a scientific person... I believe in an overarching principle of scientific inquiry called the principle of causality. If there is an effect, there must be a cause. It's really hard as a scientific person to believe that there was an effect without a cause, that just all of a sudden the universe was. A second option. A second option is that the universe has simply always existed That it has expanded and contracted and expanded and contracted forever. What does that mean? It means that what, what that possibility suggests is that there are a series of effects without a cause. Brings us to the third option. And the third option is simply this. That something outside of time and space and matter was the original cause of creation. I would call that thing God. Why do I believe in God? I believe in God at the most basic level because cosmologically, I believe there must be an original cause. There is no such thing as effect without cause. Why does it matter Why does it matter that we could answer this question? I want to suggest it matters for us personally, that we know why it is we believe in God. Because if I don't know why I believe in God, then I am susceptible at some point to the thought that the only reason I believe in God is because I want to believe there's a heaven. Or that the only reason I believe in God is because I was raised to believe in God. Friends, those are not good answers to the question. They undermine our faith, both in our lives and in the lives of our friends and family. There was a UPI Harris poll that was published in 2013, which said that 74% of Americans, in 2013, 74% of American adults said they believe in God. That's down 8% from the same poll taken in 2009. Back in 1944, the poll was put to the United States population, do you believe in God? 99% of people 
believed in God. The point is that it's not simply important for me to know why I believe in God. It's important for me to know why I believe in God so that I can tell others why they should believe in God. So why do I believe in God? Because I'm an intelligent thinking person. Because it doesn't make sense to me that something could come from nothing, that there could be an effect without a cause. So the first question we have to answer is, why do we believe in God? But there's a second one. If we're going to have this conversation about God, one of the things we have to ask ourselves is, what is, what is the character of God? What are, what are the attributes of God? What is the nature of God? There are all kinds of attributes that we could talk about. I want to highlight just three important attributes of God as we talk about God's nature. And the first is, one of the things we need to know about God is that God is powerful. You remember back in Genesis chapter 1, the, the, the way the whole book begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And what happens next? There's light. That's power, church. God said, let there be light. And there was light. The observable universe, the observable universe is 93 billion light years wide. Now let me help you process that for just a second. The speed of light is about uh, 180,000 miles per second. To put that in context, it's the equivalent of traveling around the earth seven times in one second. That's how fast you have to travel to go at the speed of light. And if you left one edge of the observable universe and traveled at that speed for 93 billion years, you would get to the other side of the universe. And you think your commute is bad. Amen? It is an unimaginably large thing. This thing called creation. How powerful must the one be who created it? I think a second thing we need to know about God is not only is God powerful because a powerful God could be a tyrant. We also need to know that God is good. Back in Genesis chapter 1, God saw what was good and God saw what was very good. In Genesis 1, God looks at the sun and the moon, the stars. God looks at the, the birds and the fish. God looks at the animals and God says they are good. God looks at you and me and God says we are very Good. The order of creation, the ordered creation was pleasing to God. God affirms life. God affirms relationship. The things we name as good are from God. Therefore, we must know that God is good. A third thing that I think is equally as important To know that God is powerful and to know that God is good, those are important, but equally as important is to know that God is intimate with us. What does that mean? What do I mean by that? Well, if you look at Genesis chapter 2, the second account of creation, the complementary account to Genesis chapter 1, in that account of creation, God kneels down in the dust. In chapter 1, God is kingly and powerful. God says things, they happen, but in Genesis chapter 2, God kneels down and plays in the dust of earth. And then God blows... The ruah, the breath of life, with that kiss of life, God animates our bodies. This intimacy stems from biological reality. Scripture tells us that God knits us together in our mother's womb. 
It tells us that God knows our steps before we take them. In Luke chapter 12, verse 7, we hear this, that God knows the number of hairs on our heads. Raise your hand in here if you know the number of hairs on your head. Thank you. I want to thank my bald brothers out there. That's helpful. Thanks. But those of us who are not or not yet completely bald, I don't have any idea how many hairs are on my head, but the Bible says God knows. My point is to say, not only is God intimately familiar with us, but God knows more about us than we know about ourselves. God is good and God is powerful and God is intimate. God is close to us. And then we've got to ask the question, well, what, what good is this conversation? In the course of our lives, we're going to experience joy and sorrow. We know that. But in moments of powerlessness, it is comforting to know that we serve a God who is powerful. In moments of anxiety, to know that God is good. And in our most crushing moments of loneliness, to know that our God is close. Friends, we could spend all day talking about the attributes of God and not even begin to scratch the surface. And that, in part, is what leads us to the third question we need to ask about God. You know, Immanuel Kant was a, a modern philosopher. He said, if you want to know something, you've got to ask, what, what, what is it in and of itself? In other words, what is the substance of God? What is the composition of God? What is the most basic form of God's being? Well, this is where things get a little bit crazy because this is where theologians and pastors start to do math. And that is a complicated principle. You see, for all the world, if you were to ask the answer to the equation, what is one plus one plus one, the answer would be three. Not for us. Pastors and theologians would say, one plus one plus one equals one. It's a doctrine we call the doctrine of the Trinity. In Genesis 1, you know, the word for God that is, is used first, the first word for God that is used in the Bible is the word Elohim. It's a plural noun. When God creates humanity, God says, let us make humanity in our own image. In the scripture, we heard this morning that Kate read for us, we find that one of the foundational passages for the Christian doctrine of the trinity is in john chapter 14 philip says to jesus jesus show us the father and jesus responds by saying if you have seen me you have seen the father the idea of the trinity is mysterious how can something be three and one at the same time my friends, we can't fully comprehend the idea of the Trinity. We can't, but there are some things we can learn from contemplating the notion of the Trinity. When we think of, of God as three, we're talking about a concept called the economic Trinity. It's a phrase theologians use to talk about the way that God is at work, economic, at work in the world. How is God at work in the world? The three primary activities that God accomplishes in the world are the activities of creator, sustainer, uh, creator, redeemer, and sustainer. God is creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Uh, it, it's it's a complicated idea to try and answer this question, what is the substance of God? So I'm, I wanted to bring in a, a couple of pieces of art to help us contemplate what is the substance of God. Because the cool thing about art is art 
art helps us to, to understand and feel and experience things that we can't fully fully comprehend on, on a cog- in a cognitive level. So I want to bring up this thing called the Rublev icon for just a second. Uh, Andrei Rublev created the Rublev icon in the 15th century. It's the most famous icon to come out of Russia. And, and what it depicts is, is the trinity in the, the economic trinity is what we see here. The three div- diverse parts of the Godhead. On the far left is God the Father. And God the Father is in the picture trying to prepare this, this cup. And you'll notice in the middle there is, there is God the Son, Jesus, and Jesus is, is almost bowing to the cup. It's as if, it's as if Jesus is, is reminding us that He said, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless not my will, your will be done. And on the right, is the Holy Spirit bowing to both. That's interesting, but I want to show you actually something about the background of this icon that I find to be very fascinating. On the left side, above the image of God, is the image of a household. There's a home there. Reminding us that the Father is in charge of the house, that it is our Father's house. In the center... Behind Jesus is the picture of of a tree, uh, the tree of life, and it it reminds us of the cross that Jesus Christ bore for all the world. But the thing I find most interesting about this picture is actually in the background behind the Holy Spirit. And because of time, it's the hardest thing to see, so let me illustrate it for you. Right in the background, right behind the head of the Holy Spirit on the right, there is a mountain peak. Can you see that? It's very faint, a mountain peak. And, and the idea is that in the context of our lives, there, there is a spiritual ascent that we take, and the Holy Spirit is our guide on that spiritual ascent. Why is it helpful to understand the unique work of each member of the Godhead as creator, redeemer, and sustainer? Well, here's why it's important. Because the God who created is still creating today. Brock and I are, are my son Brock and I are watching a, a, something on Netflix called uh, Blue Planet. Fascinating. It's about the oceans. And they're showing pictures of the Marianas Trench and, and, and New Earth being formed, but that's not really what I'm talking about in terms of God creating. I'm not just talking about the fact that God keeps giving babies to us to be born. I want to, I want to show you an instance of God continuing to create. My friend Keith, uh, this is this is a video of my buddy Keith. For his fifth birthday, he got a microphone stand. Now I'm going to show you the video, and then I'm going to I'm going to backfill the the content. But see if see if you can make out what my buddy Keith is doing here in this video. That boy is precious, yeah. So here's the thing about about that amazing, amazing, amazing young boy. Uh, Is that... uh, 
Every, every week, almost every week after worship, um, Keith will come up and, and talk to Mr. Allen. Because even at five years of old, five years of age, this little boy is already starting to feel God's call on his life to one day be a worship leader. That's what I mean when I say that God is continuing to create in this world and in our lives and in our families and in our children. God is continuing to create. The Creator creates. The Redeemer continues to redeem today. The redemption of the world didn't end with the cross and the resurrection. In many respects, it began there. And the one who is called to be our spiritual guide of ascent, the Holy Spirit, is still sustaining us on the journey of our spiritual mountains. Why is it helpful to note the continued work of the Godhead? Because God is still creating. And God is still redeeming. And God is still our guide on the spiritual ascent. But seeing God as three, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, is only part of the Trinity. Yes, God is fully three. And yet, God is one. Talking about how the members of the Trinity relate to one another is an in, in, in their internal framework. It's what theologians call the imminent trinity. It's the way we talk about the way God is in relationship to God's own self. The economic trinity is the way God is at work in the world. The imminent trinity is the way God is in relationship with God's own self. The three are, in fact, one. How does that work? Well, I don't know. <laughs> because it is unknowable. But, once again, I think that art can help us. So I want to show you a stained glass by a man by the name of David Hetland. So this, this is the picture, and because it's this way and not this way, it might be harder to see, but we're going to take closer, closer looks at it. But what you see are, are three circles that are interconnected to one another. And the symbols in those circles overflow from one circle to the next. Let's take a look at the top circle. This is what you could call the God circle, the Father circle. It's filled with images of the six days of creation. You can make out uh, the bottom left and then over to the side and then the top left and then it continues around. There are six days of creation, but that's not all. At the top, you see the fulfillment of, of creation, the new heaven and the new earth, that holy city that John the Revelator talks about in, in Revelation chapter 21. And around the ed- edges, it says, in the beginning and the breath of life. We see God the Father being being represented here, superimposed, uh, or, or in, in the center circle. Let's look at the center circle. In the center circle are the words resurrection and life. And if you look very closely, you can see that in the background there is a city which represents the disorder of our human existence, but superimposed on that city are 12 trees which symbolize discipleship. These three trees are sustained by a pool of water pictured in the lower circle. Around the perimeter of the lower circle are the words born of water and the spirit. 
Three interlocked circles are a traditional way of symbolizing the Trinity, but within the traditional setting, Hetland shows the passionate, overflowing love of God. For example, if we go back to the, the, the large circle for just a moment, you can see the next slide here. Uh, I, I need the big, the big one. You got it. You got it. That was my fault, not theirs. Uh, but I want you to look at Christ, okay? So superimposed on, on the fullness of the picture, there, there's this giant cross. Is Jesus still on the cross? No. He's been set free from the cross. And Jesus is actually leaving his circle, right? And he's going up. It shows the transcendence of the spiritual relationship between God the Father and God the Son. One other thing that's worth noting on this picture, you see on Christ's left hand, there is a wound. But coming out of that left hand, there isn't blood, but rather a river of life flows down into the pool of life from which the trees of discipleship are sustained. It is a work that's filled with creative, sustaining, powerful images of our God. How is it possible for three things to be one? I can simply tell you that with God all things are possible. But here's the important piece. So we can get lost in the theological conversation of all this and not take away the practical piece. Here, here's the takeaway. The Trinity, the concept of the Trinity, particularly the imminent Trinity, the internal working of God's self, it's not just a descriptive reality. The Trinity is also a prescriptive thing. It teaches us something about how we are to exist. We are different. We come from different places and different faith backgrounds. We come from different racial demographics and economic strata. We come from all over this globe and are called God's children. We are different, yet we are one body. The many become one in the Trinity. And the many become one in the church. In his farewell discourse, Jesus says to his disciples, A new command I give unto you, love one another, for by this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Jesus ends that farewell discourse in John chapter 17, when he prays a prayer for all of us. Saying, Father, I pray that they would be one, just as you and I are one. In the Trinity, many become one. In the church, many become one. One last takeaway this morning. I know why I believe in God. Namely, makes more sense to me to believe there was a cause if there was an effect. I know what the nature of God is. God is powerful and good and intimate and close. I understand something of the form of God, that the Creator continues to create, and the Redeemer continues to redeem, and the Sustainer continues to guide us up the mountain of spiritual ascent. And if I see the divine dance of the many becoming one, if I believe in God, here's what Jesus says. 
in our passage this morning. He says, very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do and, in fact, will do greater works than these. What we believe about God is not a matter of mere intellectual discernment. Our beliefs drive our actions. When I know that I believe in God, when I know why, when I know what kind of God I believe in and affirm, when I strive to model that God's work of love and unity building in this world, when I know what I believe, Jesus says, when we know what we believe and in whom we believe, then we shall do great things. Thank you for joining with us in this first installment of our series entitled Believe. I hope you'll come back as we take our next step in in the journey towards the cross with Christ next Sunday. Until then, friends, would you pray with me? Holy, loving, and gracious God, you are great, powerful, good, intimate. You are mysterious. And yet, even in your mystery, you teach us. We don't know how the three members of the Godhead are one, and we don't always know how the many and diverse members of the body of Christ can be one, but we are called to it. We ask, O God, for your grace to know what we believe not simply for our own sakes, but so that we can do great, great things. In your name, to your glory, and for your sake we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. So our closing song today is one that you have already heard my buddy Keith sing, but as I understand it, Keith, would you like to come up and help the band sing our last song? Can I come? You don't have to. You don't have to. It's okay. If you decide you want to, you're going to bring your mom and Dorothy with you? You can. That's fine. I'm sure she'd love that. All right. Awesome. Come on up, Keith. And I'd like to invite the rest of you as you're able. Let us stand as we worship our God together.